This is an ABC podcast. So there's a whole kit in front of us of knives, scalpels, tweezers. Scissors, pins, yep. thread, because I'm going to do some stitching. Stitching. We've got a little bit of fine sawdust here. Yes. And that's going to help us soak up any any moisture that may start coming out. We don't want ooze, get a little bit of ooze out. You don't want blood on your feathers or no. fur. Okay, that's your warning right there. There is just a little bit of flesh and bone, feathers and skin in this edition of Science Friction. Hey, it's Natasha Mitchell wielding a scalpel, yes, but I promise you there will be no ooze. People think that we actually, there's guts and blood and stuff everywhere, but what you're going to realise is it's not, it can be quite clean. So I'm putting on my apron and getting pretty psyched because I'm going to do some taxidermy. It's an art, really, so it's not just... Taxidermy used to be called stuffing. So back in the day, museum methods back then, back when it was called stuffing, it was literally that. Took the skin off something, sewed that skin up, and then stuffed it. And it could have been stuffed with local straw, wood fibre, anything, really. My name's Dean Smith. Now, you're one of Australia's top taxidermists, yes? Uh, not sure about that, but I've been working at Melbourne Museum for 35 years as a traditional museum taxidermist. Um, when I started at the museum, I did work experience and always had a love of natural history, but never thought I'd fall in the line of taxidermy. But the head preparator there had been there 40 years. Wow. He wanted someone to mentor and I just happened to be at the right time. Do you remember your first taxidermy specimen? Yeah, and it's still at the museum. It was on display not long ago, and it just brought back some emotions, really. It's a quoll, which is quite a rare specimen for species in Victoria. But museum taxidermists like Dean are almost as scarce these days too. We're quite rare. We're not commercial taxidermists doing the game, like deer and foxes and things like that. So we're really specialised in understanding the anatomy and so forth of all our native wildlife and can do some pretty darn good taxidermy. And I'm here to learn some of that art, well try to. This is the first main interview I've been allowed to record outside of my home in over a year and I've been inside an ABC studio just three times since last March so hell I'm breaking out and getting visceral and how to feel you know really alive, have an encounter with the dead. And to do that, I've entered a kind of fantasy office in central Victoria to meet a duo called the Museum Makers. Yeah, it's a little tin shed, but it's like a TARDIS. From the outside, it doesn't look like much, but inside, there's a hell of a lot going on, that's for sure. Hi, Natasha. I'm Ewan Wood. Uh, we're in a place called Lot 19, which is a, a wonderful arts precinct at the back of Castlemaine, Victoria. I've got a workshop here that I'll share with Dean, um, and we make things. Do they ever? But calling them merely things is an understatement. It can range from tiny insects to huge blue whales, so they might be skeletons that go into a research collection, or they might be models of things that might be insect, uh, extinct animals, uh, fossil replicas. We do all sorts of things like cultural things, so we might, may make replicas of Aboriginal artefacts. Just over your left shoulder I see uh, a taxidermied crow. To our right is, uh, well, we're staring down upon us is a dinosaur model. Over there is a kangaroo, boxing kangaroo cast, I think. Some carcasses of bats. 
some foxes, a crocodile peering overhead. Most of the taxidermy, all the taxidermy you see is for institutions like you know, schools or, or universities or museums. And it was at the Melbourne Museum where Ewan and Dean first met as kids starting out as trainee museum preparators. Every surface in this large tin shed they now call their office is adorned with a menagerie of natural history delights, art, books, sketches, the hand-built models and taxidermied specimens they make of marsupials, snakes, spiders, birds, plants and a whole lot more. Oh, the drawer of eyes. Look at that. Eyes of all different colours and sizes. Yeah, that big crocodile eye. I don't know what that eye's off, but that's a... Yeah. Dinosaur? Well, I reckon it must be a dinosaur. Who else would have Oh, that look be? at that. Fish. They're made in Europe, a lot of these. They're blown glass. They're not cheap for eyes. You know, get eyes made. And then we have other ones which we call a blanket. It's got the black pupil. And then we'll paint all the the fine detail in behind the glass, so you see it from the front. I find this place totally beguiling, alongside the taxidermied specimens. The artificial models they make of flora and fauna, big and small, out of all sorts of materials, just look so real. And that's the point. So that's a, a cast of a koala body. Koala you did for... Oh, the koala conservation suit in Phillip Island but they wanted it so every now and then it'd blink and its head would turn someone would go did that just <laughs> and then they'd go you know they talk to the person and go no surely not so we're here we and if you thought you did a pretty good job of perfecting your sourdough or surviving endless zoom meetings this past year these two had the coolest project during Victoria's COVID lockdowns. We were fortunate enough to be in regional Victoria where we did have some restrictions, but we could still work with a team of five people and we built a 16-metre dinosaur and it had to travel to W8 for the new museum that opened. What sort of dinosaur? Titanosaurus, a massive sauropod, so it's a four-legged brontosaurus-type thing, a long neck, long tail, herbivore. Creating an enormous authentic replica of a dinosaur that's long extinct is a big engineering feat and a scientific one. Near where they found some of the fossil remains of the dinosaur, they found what they think to be the skin impressions. So the dinosaur was laid in on the side of a, a muddy bank. It's got up and it's left an impression, like a footprint, if you like, of its skin. And they believe that to be the skin texture of that particular dinosaur. And um, we had to re-sculpt all that over the whole beast, 60 square metres of skin. And it was built over six months. It took us three months to just sculpt the skin on. So while everyone else was making sourdough or watching Netflix videos during lockdown, you were making a dinosaur. Like, that's every kid's fantasy. And like I said to people, although we weren't making a gecko, we wouldn't have been out of socially distance around a gecko, so it was good that we had a 16-metre dinosaur project. <laughs> it was taxidermy is a really good basis for understanding anatomy. Getting inside of animals, working closely with animals, we can apply that to building sculptures of prehistoric animals as well and getting that right. And with that dinosaur, it looked fantastic. At the end, it looked like it was about to walk out of the, um, the workshop. But picking up my scalpel again, I've got a real animal in mind. So what we're choosing today is a small bird being the introduced Indian miner. So, okay, 
Here it is. So now, here she is. Here she is. The little so Indian miner. We'll take them out of the batch. She's been in the freezer for quite a while. It killed all the bacteria and so forth like that. So now she's defrosted. We're going to have to work with her quite quickly. Okay. This process. We've what we uh, been do. running taxidermy courses, and the first course we had, we had a vegan doing the course, and she was a vegan, not because she didn't like killing animals it was more for sort of health reasons and stuff and she also was curious and she thought well we're using this animal and we're re recreating something beautiful so it's very complex that whole issue so we we uh, like to do justice to that animal make it look beautiful like they are in nature and and that way that they can be um, used to help educate people we do get a lot of requests about can you stuff this deer head or hog head or whatever and we just sort of steer them on to someone else and they get plenty of requests to taxidermy people's moggies and doggies too, but that's fraught as well. We put glass eyes in. You're very familiar with your animal's eyes. You're always looking it into them. First thing they'll do is they'll look at that, the mount of their animal and they'll look at the eyes and they'll say, that's not um, Fifi, you know, that's not Fifi. There was a beautiful parrot that had died, fallen out of a lovely giant gum near my place yeah. this morning and I thought, oh, that could be something we could do. But of course, no, we can't. No, we, you need a permit. We have some really good wildlife laws. We can't even pick them off the side of the road really legally. Museums were all about going out collecting and hunting and, and, and building up their collections. And thankfully, over time, that's shifted more to a conservation sort of mindset. So we're using introduced bird because we can get a supply of Indian miners quite readily because some of the councils around Melbourne are culling them because they're becoming a major pest problem. So they're an introduced species that are out-competing a lot of the native birds. You know, I mean, it's not their fault. They're a beautiful bird in their own right. They're just very clever and very adaptable and a hardy bird and they've obviously um, made a real good go of um, their new environment. Together. So we're going to take the skin off, then we're going to have the skin removed. We're going to have a little body sitting there. I'm going mm -hmm. to get you to sketch that body. Mm -hmm. When we sketch the body, we can put the skin back into the fridge and keep it from breaking down or yep. the bacteria going on. How and quickly can it break down? On a humid day, within a couple of hours. You've got some lovely little features, uh, some soft parts, which is the beak, the eye ring and the, and the feet, we call the soft parts that have colour. So yeah, there's a bit of painting involved at the end. There's beautiful panels of colour on the wings, a chestnut back and a lovely sort of hood on their head. They're quite a characterful bird. A lot of people sort of think Indian miner, oh, yuck, why would I want to do them? But actually, as a taxidermy piece, they're a perfect little bird. And oh, and they've got an amazing character out there in urban Australia. Yeah, they're like sort of little sort of bandits, aren't they? And the people we've had in the course doing these things, they're coming up with some bloody amazing jobs. They're really pretty good-looking birds. Okay, the pressure is on. Right. Okay, so I'm taking the scalpel. You're taking the scalpel. We've parted right the feathers. Yes. Right-handed. Yep. See the white line of the sternum there? Yep. I'm going to start up where it starts here. Yeah, very sharp. Just cutting the fine... Hmm. Skin that's on the top of the sternum. Yep. A bit slow, sorry. Oh well, no, this is a delicate part. Getting used to the pressure, because I could see I almost yeah. went to. What I'm about to find out fast is that skinning a bird is harder than it sounds. And that's just the first step. Then you have to reconstruct its body. The hunting type taxidermy, you can buy a form, which is the mannequin. A mannequin is the copy of the, the body with the skin off. Um, like that kangaroo you saw over there, that's called a mannequin. Um, you can buy that off the shelf. 
And then you'd coat it, you'd stretch the skin of the dead animal over it. So you're physically not understanding that anatomy of that animal. You're not recreating that by hand from yourself. Okay, so we're going to go traditional. Exactly how I was taught 35 years ago, my mentor at the Melbourne Museum. Dean and Ewan apply the same attention to detail to the models they construct from scratch. Just recently, um, the trapdoor spider we had to build for the WA Museum, so it's a, a fairly rare and really old-lived spider. Um, and this thing, we had to make an enlarged-scale model of it. This is about oh, four centimetres, five centimetres long. Yeah, so we had to enlarge that sort of 15, 20 times. We had to work out how to make the hairs for it because they're a the very, very hairy thing. We end up getting samba deer. Samba deer is like one of the deer species, sort of pest species in Victoria. So we had a piece of samba deer skin and they got a nice stiff tapered bristle. So we cut a whole lot of them off. Thousands of them were plugged into the model. Because it's been frozen for a while, so it's a little bit, um, little bit stiff. So mm. I want you to open the, open the wings up. Back on the operating table, and I'm going very slowly here, working with this little bird's body. Normally this is a two-day workshop run by you and Dean for punters who want to have a try. And the legs, and we're just going to manipulate the muscles and re-soften those again. Because believe it or not, oh. we're going to make one incision down the belly, and the whole lot's going to be turned inside out through that one incision. Right. Mm. And then you remove the contents. Yes, so we're going to, we're going to disarticulate the wings and the legs, because yep. we're going to keep the bones from those wings and legs attached. Gotcha. And we peel it over the head, and then we'll disarticulate from the neck. Full on. Yeah. And just as you were describing, we're going to skin a bird. I just went, oh, I've just realised really what I'm getting myself yeah. in for today. Yeah, well. <laughs> I am vegetarian, but I don't mind a bit of gore. And I'm just captivated by what I'm looking at here. Oh, right. You can and really get a sense of her rib cage now. Yeah. You've really got to get an understanding of that bird or the mammal first mm. before you even start so you'll understand their anatomy and their poses or their, their natural form. Yes, mm. absolutely. Just don't dive into skinning something and then thinking you could put it together. Sit out there in the field and watch those animals first. To do it well, that's where the art, the art comes into it and the science, you, you need that science background because you need to be able to understand it um, not just from an artistic uh, point of view otherwise you could come up with some conceptual idea which people do you've got a book over there called um, crap taxidermy and in fact it's pretty genius i mean you've got ducks coming out of the backsides of lambs and uh, i don't know extended kind of rats that look like snakes and people go a little bit haywire yeah, people can go a bit haywire with the old taxidermy and we don't attest to that ourselves because we're trained to represent the animal as it exists naturally. And But um, you know, artists will use taxidermy in all sorts of ways and, and it's been done from year dot. You know, People were making headdresses and were using animals to make masks and adorn themselves. That's where you see some of the funny taxidermy from some of the old days. They, notes weren't taken properly and then the animal was just put together from an old sketch and you, you'd get this funny looking taxidermy mount because the person who did the taxidermy probably didn't even see the animal in the wild. I was a pretty active kid, I, you know, I sort of, I didn't really um, take to school as well as maybe I could have because I was probably hyperactive, you know, I was always wanting to be out in the bush. I was the youngest of seven kids, you know, and sort of running around 
making things and watching my three older brothers, you know, build billy carts. And Dad used to go up to Woods Point up in the high country all the time and we'd be up there in the creeks and in the forest. And through that, I've sort of got a deep respect and, and appreciation of, of Australia's native wildlife and just the natural history of Australia. And I've travelled a lot around Australia, um, went up to Central Australia, worked with the Aboriginal people in Tennant Creek, built a, a big dinosaur park in, in the centre of Darwin and made a... took me a year to make 14 models of... scientific models of some of the crocodilian species around the world. This is all after I did work at the museum as a, a junior with Dean. I left there after 10 years. I was probably just like school. I wasn't cut out for... Institutional, institutional life. life. So no. you went rogue, you went freelance. I went rogue and freelance and, you know, I didn't have the probably the patience of the long-term preparators as much, so I'd, I went away from the, the work and then got back into it when I was up in Darwin. And it's quite fine, the skin. And a lot of people say, how do you get the feathers off? And people don't understand that the feathers are attached to the skin, just like fur is attached to skin. Because mm. some some reason people can't fathom your skin a bird and all the feathers stay attached to the skin. Yep. Her torso looks like a love heart. Ah, yes. Mm. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a, it's a rich kind of, it looks a bit like steak, really, which figures. It's meat. Very. Yeah. Steady on, you're getting a bit artsy there. <laughs> we're, we're just... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I see that. Yeah. That is the knee and the joint is right in the middle All right, there. you're really going to sever the knee completely. Bang. Ouch. Rightio. Heard that. Oh, well, I sure did. <laughs> okay. So there's got a little nib at the front of the joint and then yep. right, we're going right through the middle. Right through the middle of the joint itself. Not the, not the actual long bone. Yep. Did I do the long bone? I might have. Yep. Okay, I'm cutting the knee joint. Yep. Oh. That's got it. Right. So that's one leg free. Okay. Your clients... Yep. Uh, not just museums or yeah. tourist parks or you have some an extraordinary range of clients I think a few movie sets have asked you to work on them someone had to do a, a scene of a kangaroo getting run over or hit by a car on, on a might have been a soap opera or something and everyone had to get out as a bit of an emergency and they wanted a, a dead kangaroo that they could drag off the side of the road but they couldn't use a dead one so they wanted a sort of stuffed or, or fake kangaroo and I've actually had to make fake crocodile head that was used in a, a series or a documentary about animals that turn on their um on their owners there was some sort of have you seen that one no no uh, but i can imagine the scenario it was up in darwin and they didn't have any um talent that they could use for the actor they said oh you you're about the same size as him can you be our actor it was all shaky camera and stuff you couldn't really see much so i, I was the bloke who was that actually have to be the mock-up of the drongo who got his arm bitten off by the bloody crocodile so <laughs> schlock horror kind of document yeah, yeah. docu-series yeah yeah docu yeah mockumentary sort of thing it was it was animals cool. that turned on their owners yeah, it's well done oh this is a bit visceral removing yeah. the eyeball mm. wait until we get to the brain yeah Okay, I've got the eyeball out. Can I snip that off, the sinew, here? Yep. All right, yeah. Now snip. let's keep that eye in the little jar with the okay. removed body. Keeping the eyeball. Because we've got to measure those. And, Ooh, mm. okay. Well, we'll get the brain out and we'll have some lunch. Okay, yeah, good point. just at the right point to make them feel really ugh. hungry. It's a privilege to work on native animals and get up close and personal and get to study and research a little bit about them but also you know that when you're doing some of these animals that maybe um, in 50 100 years they 
they might have vanished and, and you know that you know you've helped to preserve that animal in some way we've just done a job on these animals called plains wanderers the most endangered critically endangered bird uh, in australia they look like a little quail the habitat's been destroyed through um you know mainly farming and also they've been impacted by foxes and cats and these two they've got these little residual habitats out in the western districts of victoria the farmers are sort of working with some of the um, sort of conservation organisations to try to preserve some of their habitat and and we were asked to um, stuff two birds that they had found dead on someone's farm. Did the traditional archival museum taxidermy on them. One had been run over by a tractor, the other one had been mm. stepped on by a cow because mm. um, their mode of... Um, they're endangered and they're this, endangered. Is, this is where their bodies are coming from. Yeah, and part of the reason they're endangered because their mode of defence is to freeze and they just freeze and blend in with the bush and they were the most horrible looking specimens we're thinking well there's only sort of 400 of these left in the world so the pressure was really on us and um gee they looked ordinary after we washed them to our credit and we were quite proud of ourselves we're able to put them together and make a nice little display of these two male and female little pair and they're traveling them around to different stakeholders, landholders, and showing them this is the bird we're trying to preserve. That will go some way to helping to conserve the species. You know, we have taxidermy there in our collections. Those animals don't exist anymore. They're just not here. They're extinct in our time. And they're the only record of the past that we can, you know, present to the future. My taxidermy effort, however, will definitely not help that cause. By the end of the day, I've managed to remove the skin from the fleshly little body of the Indian minor bird, feathers, tail, wings still intact. And then I removed her bird brains. Because we've cut away the, um, the last vertebrae yep. at the axis, that's exposed a little hole into the back of the skull. Sometimes you can get little bits of pull the brain out through that little tiny hole. Back um, when I was a junior at the museum, the first week I was there, um, they thought it was a good idea to set me up um, with kangaroo skulls that had to be cleaned for the research collection. They plonked these heads in front of me and they said, here's a straw for you and you need to use that to extract the brains. Oh, and you believe them. And I was thinking, oh, because I was, you know, put to the test. I thought, oh, I don't want to disappoint them. But I didn't get to that point. Before I put the straw to my mouth and had a go, they said, stop, Ewan, stop. We didn't mean it. Yeah, just testing me out. And, and in fact, back in the old days, they used to use straws. You'll see how difficult it is to remove the brains. Don't let them tell you that bird brains are small. There's a lot of brain material stuffed into that little skull. Very mushy, aren't they, the brains? Yeah. You wonder how that can, um, something... That sort of material can think. Yeah. I know it doesn't seem to have the um, same consistency of the human brain. It's much more liquid. It, but you've got to remember these have been frozen as well. Of course. So, so the tissues tissues sort of been frozen and, and then defrosted. defrosted, gone mushy. Yeah. Yeah, true that. Next time I do this, I might get to fill her washed skin sack with a soft mannequin formed from wood fibres and coconut fibres and shaped carefully to mimic her original form, insert a flexible foam neck and wire to enable her wings to spread and legs to be mounted, stitch up her body and give her glass eyes that we'll never see, sadly. 
this is precious knowledge that you both have. And are you thinking about it being passed on? So much of this bespoke work in so many areas has come to an end. Is there a, a possibility that museum preparators could become extinct too at some point in future generations? Yeah, it certainly is a possibility because these days uh, there's this big push to get things done faster and maybe there's not the focus on detail. The digital world has encroached on this work a lot too. And, and 3D we, printing. 3D printing. So we use that. We're not trying to fight against it. It's something that happened to, you know, back in the days of photography, everybody thought, you know, photography was all manual, but these days it's, it's all digital. Taxidermy, well, you can't really 3, 3D print a feathered bird. So there will always be a, a need for skilled taxidermists. We hope through what we're doing, you know, Dean and I, and uh, the museum makers, we're hoping to, as we get older, pass on some of those skills before we you know, kick the bucket. Fair way off, I have to say. And you know, maybe by then someone might have worked out how to stuff a human because they're still working on that. But, um, but we don't really want to be stuffed. We, we know too much about it to uh, want to be uh, on the other side of the uh, scalpel, that's for sure. Thanks to Ewan Wood and Dean Smith for giving me a shot at taxidermy. The museum makers, their website has some incredible photos of their work and more info on their community taxidermy courses too. Get to it via the Science Friction website. Talk to me on Twitter at Natasha Mitchell. Spread the love, share the podcast. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.